Today's gospel is from the book of Matthew, chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Loving and gracious God, open our ears to hear what you would say to us this day. Open our hearts to receive what you have for us. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So there's just something about mountains. Maybe our brains marvel at the way they're formed the movement of the earth, the power that must be involved in that, in, in the plates coming together and pushing up to create these huge mountains. Maybe it's our souls admiring snow-capped peaks, maybe off in the distance, or maybe looking down on them when we're in an airplane. Maybe it's our body hiking or climbing to the summit, revealing to our eyes a breathtaking vista and view before us. We think of Mount Everest, the highest point on the whole earth. I think when I think of mountains of Mount St. Helens, because I have family that lives in the Pacific Northwest, and you might remember that in 1980, on May 18th, 1980, this dormant volcano erupted, and it's considered to be the most disastrous volcanic eruption in U.S. history, with just unimaginable force and power, the steam, the ash, the destruction. It's just more than we can really take in. And just yesterday on the radio, I heard renowned astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson, who's head of the Hayden Planetarium at the Museum of Natural History, talk about the feelings of intense euphoria, not caused by any chemicals, 
when he's on the top of a mountain, looking up at the night sky, looking out at the universe. The awe that mountains inspire in us didn't start with us. We read about it in the Bible, beginning with Genesis. Wonderful and strange things occurred on mountain peaks. There was Mount Ararat, where Noah's Ark came to rest. There was the mountain where Abraham nearly sacrificed his son Isaac. There was Mount Sinai, where Moses, the leader of the Israelites, as they wandered for 40 years through the wilderness, climbed Mount Sinai, met with God, as, it, as the text says, face to face, received the Ten Commandments, and when he came down the mountain, his face shone with God's glory. There's Mount Carmel, where the prophet Elijah experienced miraculous fire, showing that Yahweh, the God of Israel, was more powerful than pagan gods. In today's text, we find ourselves on such a mountain, a high mountain, and things get very weird. This is a text that even biblical scholars and seminary professors have difficulty with. We can't match up what happens here with any of our other experiences in order to make sense of it. It doesn't fit our rational thinking, our neat categories of reality. United Methodist Bishop Will Willimon observes, this event cannot be explained. It can only be received. It is something to be savored. So to help us receive and savor it today, we're going to do something just a little bit different. I'm going to read the passage again, this time from the message contemporary, the, the Bible in contemporary language. And I'm going to invite you to close your eyes as I read this and to try to picture, use your imagination, try to picture what's going on, try to imagine yourself in the setting. And then we'll have just a few moments when I'm done reading for just a bit of silent reflection. So get comfortable. Six days later, three of them saw the glory. Jesus took Peter and the brothers James and John and led them up a high mountain. His appearance changed from the inside out, right before their eyes. Sunlight poured from his face. His clothes were filled with light. Then they realized that Moses and Elijah were also there in deep conversation with him. Peter broke in 
Master, this is a great moment. What would you think if I built three memorials here on the mountain? One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While Peter was going on like this, babbling, a light radiant cloud enveloped them. And sounding from deep in the cloud a voice, this is my son, marked by my love, focus of my delight, listen to him. When the disciples heard it, they fell flat on their faces, scared to death. But Jesus came over and touched them. Don't be afraid. When they opened their eyes and looked around, all they saw was Jesus, only Jesus. Coming down the mountain, Jesus swore them to secrecy. Don't breathe a word of what you've seen. After the Son of Man is raised from the dead, you are free to talk. Amen. I'm going to resist the temptation to try to explain what's going on here on the high mountain. With Jesus, his followers, Peter, James, and John, the long-dead Moses, receiver of the law, and the similarly long-dead prophet Elijah, the bright cloud, a voice from the cloud saying, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. We may not be able to explain what happened here, but we can label it. The strange events on the mountain are an epiphany, an appearance or manifestation of the divine presence to human beings. Matthew's depiction of Emmanuel, God with us. In Celtic Christianity, these kinds of events are known as thin places. Places where the veil between, the wor between this world and the next <clears throat> is so sheer that we can step through it. Places where a door between this world and a brighter place where God is a palpable presence is cracked open 
just a bit. Moments in our lives when God's presence is made known to us in wondrous and mysterious ways. Today is the last Sunday in the season of Epiphany. I have so appreciated hearing persons in our congregation share their epiphanies, situations where they glimpsed God's presence. And I'd like to share with you one of mine. For me, it took place many years ago after I graduated from college, but before I entered graduate school, I was living in the Boston area and I attended a church that was situated just on the edge of the Boston Common. And it was a Maundy Thursday, and it was always special going to this church in the evening. Because on Sunday mornings when we went, the city was quiet, not a lot happening, very little traffic, very little activity. But in the evenings, the city was still at its hectic pace. People milling about, cars everywhere, sounds, noise. And so entering the sanctuary was such a contrast to what was surrounding it. So I went in. As I said, it was Maundy Thursday, the day before Good Friday. And we were hearing about the Last Supper, about Jesus washing his disciples' feet, about the anticipation of what would be coming the next day. And after I received communion, and I was sitting in the pew mulling these things over, realizing that Jesus knew what was coming, and he was willing to go through it. And I, I silently asked myself, really, why would anyone willingly choose to go through such pain and agony? And I heard what is the closest thing to a human voice without actually being a human voice. And it said to me, I did it for you. And I, I don't know what surprised me more, the fact that I actually got an answer to my question or the answer itself. I mean, I had grown up in the church. I had been in the church my whole life. How often had I read, sung, heard, prayed that Jesus had died for me? But in that moment, I knew it to the depths of my being in a way I had not known it before. We know that Jesus' story is not always one of happiness and light. There are dark, sad, and scary times. After they make their way down the mountain, Jesus and his disciples will begin their journey to Jerusalem a journey that will end at the cross. We will journey with them as this Wednesday we begin the season of Lent, 40 days 
of walking with Jesus to the cross. The cross that he was willing to endure for me and for you. Peter, James, and John needed that experience on the mountain. It gave them just a glimpse of the glorious Easter ending of the story, and that was enough. It prepared them so they could endure what was to come. Jesus did not avoid suffering, sorrow, and death, and neither do we. So we, too, need moments like the one on the mountain, sacred moments when God's presence comes near to us in a special way to assure us, comfort us, encourage us, strengthen us. Thin places that can carry us through the dark times. My experience on that Maundy Thursday certainly carried me through difficult and painful times. For some, this happens on a mountaintop with blinding light. But for most of us, it's in the ordinary times, in our homes, our classrooms, our offices, any place where we make a space and open ourselves to the holy in our midst. Just a glimpse of glory, just a moment of transcendence, yet somehow it is enough. Thanks be to God. Amen.